Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about credit card debt. Guess what? We've got a lot of it, and it's just getting worse. Joining me today is Susan Spears. She is the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants, and UACPA is the sponsor of Money Making Sense. It's always a pleasure when Susan is on board to give us her wonderful insight. So welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. I hope that we can maybe give some encouragement and some enlightenment, but things aren't looking great right now. I know. I know. So I want to throw out some numbers just in case people aren't aware of how bad things have gotten. As of uh, September 30th, the average household is carrying $10,000 of credit card debt. That's not including student loans, mortgage, anything like that. This is strictly credit cards. And nationwide, all of those households adds up to $1 trillion of credit card debt, which is insane. I think it's record-breaking. Yeah, if, if it's not record-breaking, it's certainly nearing where we were before the 2008 crash. Yeah. Oh, so in 2007, the average... American was holding $12,000 in credit card debt. Now we're holding 10000 But I think there's more people holding 10000 So I think we've actually surpassed the amount that has ever happened. Or it's, like you said, very, very close to nationwide. Right. And this is unsecured debt to boot. You, you know, and you think we're well over that $1 trillion. I think we're, what, between one and $1.2 and $1.3 just in credit card debt. So yeah. then if we start adding other household debt, let's add mortgages, student loans, auto loans, um, this, the numbers just start looking more and more depressing. We're struggling as Americans to meet those obligations. Is it just that Americans have forgotten? I mean, this is all, we're only talking 14 years ago when we had the crash and for a large amount of people stopped using their credit cards or at least reduced how much they were charging did we forget the lessons of just 14 years ago and people just are now spending out of control? Like, why is using your credit card so much more attractive now? Well, I think a couple things. I think you're right. For whatever reason, as Americans, we do not have good memories. We forget quickly. I mean, I think we could we could really just go in, down a rabbit hole in all sorts of events that have happened in recent years in our American history, and we just forget. But I think that a couple other things are happening as well. Um, we're coming off the pandemic, and for a couple of years, people didn't spend anything. So we, we have this spending spree going on, and people are going out and buying luxury items. They're traveling, they're dining out, and that that's driving up the credit card debt. While at the same time, we have this inflationary thing going on. So our economy is growing way too fast. We've got inflation. With inflation, our wages aren't keeping up with the inflation. Interest rates are going up. It's really a great recipe for financial disaster if you're not staying on top of things. Now, I'm fortunate. I don't have credit card debt. I've had to use my credit card for a couple of things, but I pay it off within the same month. But I'm seeing that each time I use my credit card, it's like, oh, God, I'm not sure I can pay it off this month because my grocery bills have just gone extra. That's that inflationary thing you're talking about. Just the other day, I bought two bags worth of groceries, and it was $60 
for two bags of groceries and that's not even going to last me a week. And I used to spend $50 a week on groceries. Now just two bags, which won't last a full week is $60. So mm-hmm. that's just insane. Everyone's in the same boat. And for me, it's it's a little scary. You know, you think, you know, we probably do fine wage wise. I mean, we're certainly feeling it. So can you imagine that those that are in the lower income levels that were living from paycheck to paycheck, now they're not even living paycheck to paycheck. They're not living. And so if they have credit cards, that's another driver of that credit card debt. Yeah. And to boot, the interest rates on credit cards, they are no longer at that 5 and 6% they were five, four or five years ago. I mean, they are way back up to the 30, 33% that, that we saw just due to the increase in interest rates and how they've been exploding. Yeah. So to put that into perspective, I just want to take my $60 of groceries. Let's say I'm having to go four or five times a month. So now we're we're over the $300 mark just for me for the month. And I get my credit card bill at the end of the month. That's $300. But I only have, after paying rent, my car payment, maybe my medical bills or student loan, I only have like maybe $15 that I can put toward the credit card and the minimum is 12. So I'm, I'm barely covering the minimum of that credit card bill. And then 33% interest comes on on top of it the next month. And so now the minimum is $15 because of the added interest. And I still can only pay $15. And then the next month, another, I've, and on top of that, I've spent another $300 in groceries. It's just this, it's insane. If you have such a minimum amount of money coming in as your income and you can't afford to pay off what you're buying. Well, and that's the scary thing because if, if we can't meet our physiological needs or those safety needs, then we create a whole other host of economic, personal, emotional, mental challenges. So it's imperative that we really that we really begin to understand the behavior of money, not only within ourselves, but how, how it affects the economy. I mean, we're talking about not being able to afford to live and inflation has certainly played a role in this. But, you know, we have to look at the business side of things too. Of course, prices keep going up, but I also have to ask our employers, are we keeping our wages up just so that our employees can live? I mean, if we don't have happy employees, they're not going to serve the organization. Right. And that's a whole other new modeling project. I have to ask our employers keeping the humanity aspect into their models. Whether you are for unions or not, I don't really want to go into that discussion. But right now we've got several big unions that are on strike. You have SAG-AFTRA, you have United Auto Workers on strike. The writers had been on strike for a while. But one of the points that they have is that the CEOs gave themselves a 40 to 60% income increase over the last couple of years. And the workers got at best a 5% increase. So why is it okay 
for CEOs, the heads of all these companies to get huge increases in their salaries, but not the workers. And then they turn around and say, oh, well, you know, we have to make sure that we keep a profit going. Well, I'm going, well, don't pay yourselves as much money. You have plenty of profit. I think that you make a valid point. And I'm going to say this as a CEO, if my staff or line people are not able to complete their goals or complete the requirements of whatever I am or corporate is expecting of them, in my opinion, then I have not met my goals or those those expectations in order to merit that 40% increase. I mean, I was kind of shocked and alarmed to read that. I thought, well, I'm kind of with you. How does a C-suite or a CEO justify that kind of raise if the people that are in the trenches aren't accomplishing the expectations of whatever C-suite is asking them. I think that's very upside down. I think it's very greedy and I think it's very wrong. And so there's a big part of me that is like, you know, you you can't fault these people for, for going on strike. I mean, um, I, we've got, a, I think we've got too much greed built into the business models. I would agree with that. I don't understand the higher up saying we have to maintain a profit margin, which is why we can't hire as many full timers where we'd have to give out benefits, but I get 40% more money. Right. It's beyond me. I mean, from just common sense or simple economics or business, you know, it doesn't make sense. And I think that part of the challenge, especially when you look at some of these older union, well, I shouldn't say older unions, but some of these models is some of the business models are so old that they haven't taken into consideration current times, current economies and whatnot. And I would argue that that perhaps they need to be broken and and restructured and be a little more forward thinking and green, if you will, so that we can start getting rid of these awful cycles that continue to come upon us. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll discuss more about the economy and how this is affecting the outrageous credit card debt the Americans are carrying at this point in time. So we'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it. And today we're talking about credit card debt and the economy and How are people coping with all of that? I guess my short answer is we're not very well right now. Joining me today is Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs. And Susan, you actually did an opinion piece in the Deseret News talking about credit card debt and, and how it's affecting us. And it sort of goes into a little bit about our spending behaviors. But one thing I learned in that is that Utahns, which we are based in Utah, we have the worst debt-to-income ratio pretty much of the entire nation. So how'd that happen? Well, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Utah is known for low-paying wages. I mean, let's be honest, this is one reason that employers come into our state. As people, we have a higher higher work ethic and um, we're, for whatever reason, willing to take less. But there's another piece to that that isn't necessarily always discussed, and that is that we are the youngest state in the nation. From a demographic standpoint, 
We have the highest birth rate. We have our average age is just over 31 years old. So if you think about that, these people, this age group, I mean, they've probably just graduated from school. We have a high uh, secondary ed graduation rate. A lot of us will go on and get um, advanced degrees, master's or or further ahead. And so we're just getting started in those jobs. And, and we're also having families and we're trying to buy a house. So with that lower entry level paying job, and we're trying to kind of live life, we're like, well, I think it was 138%. We are paid the lowest. And then as you look at that percentage, because we are paid lower, that percentage of debt is higher. Right. Okay. So we probably do. I mean, we probably do see these kids having to go out and they are putting things are on credit cards. They might need a, a high chair, if you will. And so they're going to Ikea or Toys R Us or whatever and buying that high chair, putting it on their credit card just so that they can get started. The challenge is in these times that we are in now, we don't have the discretionary dollars for them to get out of debt as quickly as maybe we did even 10 years ago. Yeah, I would say definitely in the last three years, it's definitely gotten much worse because, as you mentioned earlier, the inflation. If you do put anything on a credit card, you're paying more interest on that and the cost of groceries, the cost of gas, pretty much the cost of everything. Even that high chair that you have to put on the credit card costs more than it did three years ago. Right. The other thing, keep in mind, is during the pandemic, our economy was flooded with over $4 trillion. Now, initially, people didn't spend that money. We actually had a higher savings rate at the beginning of the pandemic. So we had a higher savings rate and people weren't spending. Well, now, post-pandemic, we have this suppressed urge to spend. I mean, so we are buying the luxury items, yada, yada, yada. And the money isn't retracting out of the economy. So this is part of what's causing the inflation. So the feds have to come in, raise the interest rates, see if we can slow down that spend, if you will. Yeah. So if you're thinking, and I am no economist, I mean, I will admit I am a numbers nerd, but I am not an economist. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons that we have to raise, the, one of the reasons that the Fed raises those interest rates is to slow that spend. Yeah. So I had to do a news story a week or so ago on part of this inflationary thing. And my story was about some economists say, because of rising interest rates, it keeps going. People mm -hmm. are thinking, huh, in the future, I'm not going to be able to afford stuff I want. I'm going to do it all now. So mm -hmm. you have more people, they're taking those luxury trips that they might thought they would do in five years, but now they're doing it now because they figure, oh gosh, in five years, I won't be able to for whatever reason. And so that is what is keeping more money in the economy, which then in turn makes the feds raise the interest rates even more, which then puts us in this horrible, horrible cycle. Well, it does. And I, and one thing that I've noticed, it used to be, you, you know, you hear about the economic indicators, you could kind of know where the economy was going by auto sales or housing stars, you know, things like that. That's really no longer true. It's like we're in this weird place where we're having to refigure things out. And then to boot, you, you know, we have a human capital shortage. So our unemployment is really low during this inflationary time. We don't have enough housing. Interest rates are high. Now, we are seeing housing prices 
I don't know if stabilize is the right word, but <laughs> I mean, but they're still excessively high. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you think in the Salt Lake Valley or whatever, I think we saw a report come out the other day that the average home price was just under 600000 Yeah. Especially if you're talking to the young, the younger, our younger homeowners or people that want to get into these homes, they just can't do it. And to boot, I read earlier today, I'm kind of watching interest rates. I mean, we have a daughter that's building a house right now and she's, she's sweating buckets. She's, you know, she says, mom, interest rates by the time we close on this thing are going to be well over 8%. I hope we qualify, <laughs> you, you, you know, they yeah. have another house they have to sell. So I think the other thing that's tripping this up is wages have not kept up with the economy. Mm -hmm. I know that in some fields, they're maybe 10 years behind, if not more. Yeah, It's kind of like, this is a, it's a rude awakening for for many right now. Also in your op-ed, you discussed financial education in the schools, Mm -hmm. which I had actually just recently spoken to the national financial education people. Mm -hmm. And while they're happy that more courses are being taught in the schools for our kids so they have a little bit better grasp on what's going to happen when they graduate and they're released into the world and they're called adults and now they have to pay for all this stuff and don't have a true understanding of interest rates and what happens when you buy stuff on credit cards. They're really happy that that happens. However, even though Utah kind of leads the nation in our courses in the schools, they still give us a failing grade. Because what happens is teachers, when they go to teach history or math, they go through anywhere from four to eight years of college learning these things. And so they're prepared to teach an entire course or a year on whatever their subjects are. When this financial education courses came about, they were given a manual that just said, here, you've got three weeks and then you'll be teaching a course. And a lot of these teachers didn't have any basic financial understanding themselves. They were struggling in their own personal lives on how to deal with their credit cards and their mortgage. And they felt like they were living paycheck to paycheck. And now they're teaching this to kids. So if they don't understand the concept, how are you supposed to teach it to the kids in the high schools? And that's why they still give us a failing grade. We've been working on financial literacy here in the state. I've been involved with it since early 2000s. In 2003, we passed a bill that indicated that our high school seniors would have to graduate with a half credit of financial literacy. That took effect in 2008. And to your point, we saw that a lot of our school districts that they had, I will admit, this is the only mandated class in the state of Utah. So, of course, our educators probably weren't too happy about that. And as they were scheduling classes, if somebody had an empty spot, they would be slotted in to teach that class. And you're right. They probably didn't know anything about it. Well, we caught wind of this, and in 2011 or 12, we we actually passed a bill that said these teachers have to be endorsed to teach this class. So no longer are we going to have an English teacher, a history teacher, or a football coach or whatever teaching financial literacy in the state of Utah unless they are endorsed. So they have to have the credentials in order to teach that class. We are a state that we get an A-plus rating when it comes to the concepts we're teaching. We Every three years, 
we're required to review the the strands and standards. What are, what is it our kids need to know? I can tell you, we are no longer teaching about check registers because nobody <laughs> writes checks, <laughs> right? Right. You know, so. Yeah, there are some problems. We do believe um, state auditor's office did not it back in 2018 to how we were doing. We're moving the needle in the right direction, but it needs to move more. We're actually um, thinking that we need to ask for another audit to, to see where we're going. Because to your point, so many Americans do not understand their per- what their personal money is all about. Many don't know how to create a spending plan. Yeah, that was also part of this person's point. And he may have been speaking more general across the nation because there are 21 states Mm -hmm. that require financial literacy teaching in the schools. I can't speak for the other states. I will say I truly believe, and I will say I'm biased. I mean, I'm involved, as you know, very heavily in this. But as we go through these standards and as we work with our teachers, I mean, I belong to another organization where we actually do a teacher training summit so that they are getting the training on these issues. And we are making sure that they're endorsed our state office of ed. But yes, I am aware that there are situations where there are probably teachers teaching something that they are not qualified to teach, you know, and and that's something that we need to figure out. This is a good place to take a break. When we come back, let's try to answer how do we help people understand how to curtail their spending if possible. So we'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about the economy and how it relates to credit card debt and our spending habits. So joining me today is Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Now, people's minds probably just kind of like exploded and came out of their ears on some of the stuff that we just (laughs) covered. But I do want to bring it back to... Our credit card debt is the highest it's ever been or very close to the highest it's ever been in history. And while a lot of that is out of some people's controls, like as we talked about the amount of income they don't have coming in and they still have to live. So they don't have, they don't have cash to pay or they can't pay off their credit card the same month that they get the bill. So What are some things that we can do to help people understand how to curtail spending habits or figure out their budgets? I'm going to make a blanket statement. I think regardless where you are income level, you are feeling what's going on in the economy. I mean, I've heard it from high wealth individuals. I certainly see it with our lower income citizens. So I think that everybody's feeling this. But I think that the first thing we need to know is we need to understand what our own reality is. We need to create that spending plan, which is synonymous with budget. I like the term spending plan because spending plan puts you in the driver's seat. It's going to force you to understand, okay, I have X amount coming in every month. This is what I know I can depend on. But I also have Y amount of expenses and really understanding what you're spending money on. And then from there, we can say, okay, we need to look at wants and needs. This is where money behavior comes in. Is it really a need that I have to have the $7 latte every morning or can I curb that down? Let's really hone in on those wants and needs. 
And then from there, if we're still in the hole, then we need to look at, okay, what are the opportunities to either bring in more income or can I go to family for help? Are there some agencies where I can get help with my groceries? I know here in Utah, you can call 211 and they are lined up with all sorts of resources. People are willing to help. But I think that if you put yourself in the driver's seat and really make that effort, there there is opportunity. I'm not saying it's going to be easy because it's not. Right. <laughs> I mean, I remember what it's like to have 23 cents left in a checking account and having yet another week to go before the next payday. It's yeah. painful. Yeah. I think that we have to be willing to reach out and be willing to ask for some help. Now, that being said, as companies, we need to be willing to either offer that flex time. I mean, daycare certainly adds up. I mean, that's a whole other subject. I mean, we have young families and, you know, it's it's really easy for someone like me to say, well, yeah, just go get another job. But if you have little ones under told, that's not so easy. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's time to, as organizations, to kind of look at what, what we can be doing to help our employees. I think that there's opportunity for side hustles. If there's something that you have a little talent with or doing or whatever, I think there's opportunity there. But, you know, you really have to spend the time with yourself. I mean, we've got to make sure that those basic physiological needs are met. When those aren't being met, then then we see increase in crime. We see increase in suicide. We, I mean, there's a whole other boatload of things that happen when those needs aren't being met. From what I hear, the first thing we do is allocate our money. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we know how much we have coming in. We know for the most part how much is going out on rent or mortgage, mm-hmm. other type of payments. So once you figure that out and how much discretionary money you have left over, then you can figure out where you're going to put it. But as you just said, you may be upside down. So then getting another job may be required. Mm-hmm. It may be. Um, and, and that's kind of where you need to bring your little village into tow. I mean, if you need help with kids or, you know, help with, with groceries or whatever, it, it's, you know, let's let the village help you. And at some point in time, you'll be able to get back to that village. The other thing that I'm noticing, and as I've just been out and about, I think understand what you're worth. You know, you hear a lot of people say, well, I just need to go ask my boss for a raise because I just can't make ends meet. Well, that doesn't necessarily work. If you can't go in and have the conversation, this is what I'm doing, blah, 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 outline all that. And then also know where you fit in the marketplace. And if you are being underpaid, I think that that's a great conversation to have. A lot of companies are opting to raise the minimum wage for for new hires coming in. So let's say five years ago, I got hired at a company at 10 bucks an hour. And over the five years, I've gotten more and more raises. And now I'm up to $15 an hour. Well, now these companies are going to be straight off. A new hire is going to get $15 an hour. So somebody who's brand new, who has no experience with the company, is going to get paid the same amount I do. How do I go in and fight my case for I should still have five more dollars an hour? That's a tough question. Um, and organizations don't always think this through. I mean, they, they know that if, okay, if I start, if my start out the gate is 15 bucks an hour and I have a three or four year person there that's 15, they have to understand that. If you start at the bottom, you've got to raise all the way up 
And I, I think that's a worthy conversation to have with the employer. Again, part of the beauty is, is we are in a human capital shortage and it's not going to stop anytime soon. I mean, our birth rate since 2008 has been declining. If we think things are bad now, I think that they're only going to get more challenging if we don't rethink how we're doing things. And, and I think that I would rather keep any good employee than bring another one in and have to incur those training costs and everything. So I, I think it is a conversation that needs to be had at every level, especially especially if you understand this. It's not easy. People don't want to have those conversations. I'm, I'm challenging that and saying, you know, you got to be vulnerable a little bit. I mean, you have to be able to take care of yourself. Okay. If I'm an employee and in that situation, do I start with my boss, or if it's not necessarily a salary issue that is most concerning me, how do you start the conversation with your village? Where do people start if you've never really talked about money? Because some people feel shame and you just don't want to admit that. I think you have to create that safe space. I think that, you know, if you're, let's say you're just working with your own family or whatever, I I think that you have to kind of set up some parameters and say, you know, I'm struggling, but set up some rules. It's like, you know, I'm going to be very honest with you and everything. I don't want you to judge me. I'm asking for some help. I'm asking for some suggestions. Can we have a two, a good two-way conversation on this? And, and I think the same goes even if you're doing some salary conversations or wage conversations with your supervisor. I think that you can give yourself permission. I mean, if you know what others are making in your same role, I think it's okay if the that you start looking a little bit and match up the not only the wage but the culture because let's be honest, we're working 8, 10, 12 hours a day if the culture's not right, the wage is not going to be right. Right. Oh yeah, I made, well, way back in the day my rent was only $200 a month. My car had been paid off. I didn't have to deal with that. But I hated the job. Money-wise, I never felt like I was living paycheck to paycheck back then. But I hated it. And they could have paid me four times as much money, and I still would have hated it and not wanted to be there. Right. You have to take that into consideration. If you, if you hate your job, you don't want to come home and kick the dog. And if if you love your job, I think that there's always opportunities. And typically, if you love your job, you're going to be doing you're going to be doing a better job. And hopefully that doesn't go unnoticed so that when you need to have some of these tough conversations, you can plead your case better. But to go in and say, hey, hey, boss, I'm just not making enough to make ends meet. That's just not going to cut it. I, I think right. a little bit of thought has to go into the process. Yeah, you have to sell yourself or, or prove to the boss why the raise is not just because you need it because the, the boss doesn't care actually. But what they need to see is like, hey, did you realize that I implemented this or I did this and it improved the productivity of the entire team? Or mm-hmm. because I turned off all the lights every night before I left, our electric bill went down. So we've saved money. You know, you have right. to do things like that to yep. show your boss why you are worthy of a raise. Mm-hmm. And I know those conversations are going on. There's been, I, I know they're going on and, and um, it's okay to sell yourself. Any other tips or suggestions for people to help understand why they shouldn't be charging everything on a credit card, if at all possible? If anything, it's just that you don't want that $5 taco to turn into a $50 taco. 
interest does not rest. It never goes to sleep. It's always, it can work for you or it can work against you. And in credit card debt, it works against you. And as much as grocery items are just way too expensive, it's even more expensive if you go out to eat. Yeah, and it's often cheaper to make your own dinner than to go up and down and do the pre-prepared foods. And and it's challenging because I, I know I've had several mothers say, well, it's cheaper for me to go get a Happy Meal. The downside is, is you're hungry an hour later, mm-hmm. but watch the grocery ad, learn, learn to cook or involve the family in the process. Yeah. When my kids were little, I would have them help me in the kitchen and they eat their food better. If they had a, a part in putting it together or even making the peanut butter sandwich and decorating it with raisins or bananas or whatever, it's kind of like we can make food fun, but we can be nutritious at the same time. Well, Susan Spears, you are the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants, and UACPA is the sponsor of Money Making Sense. I think it's a help when we just talk about it and make Mm -hmm. people realize you're not in this alone. A lot of people are struggling, but there are places that you can get help, whether it's your community, your friends, or calling 211, as you said, to get some information, find out where you can go to get help if you need it financially. And credit card debt is just out of control right now. And some people may not be able to help that at the moment because of the lack of income, but you can maybe stop the flow a little bit more. Right. Or at least understand, start to understand where is it coming from, the why, you know, that spending plan. It's, it might be the toughest thing you do, but it will be the best thing you do. It's just kind of like, I need to know what my reality is. We can do it. I mean, I think we're all, we're all struggling, but we're all in this. We can do it. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.